I took the path that had two hell cannons. Welcome to the Path to Story podcast, a Warhammer Age of Sigmar Path to Glory podcast. Join us for a whole lot of lore and more here in the Mortal Realms. Today, I am going to be throwing an insult at Will. Will, you go and roast your nose under a gorgon's gullet, you repulsive oaf. (laughs) Will, who are you today? One second. <laughs> I am Hansi Malzina, groaning cadaver of the Wandering Grave. I should not have taken a drink before you said that. <laughs> that is <Yeah>. unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. Hansi. He's been... a zombie, zombie named Hansi. <laughs> We're going back to this whole theme of very bad writing. Uh, <laughs> Spencer, who are you today? If there were any rails, they're gone. We're off of them. <laughs> also them. known as oh, okay. the toughest eagle spot, the Griffhound. Ooh. I like Perfect. it. Perfect. Your your true self. <laughs> your true self. Exactly. Alright. So, Will, what are we gonna talk about today? Today, we're going to talk about um, the battle that we participated in last week, and we're also going to talk about the upcoming Path to Glory Age of Sigmar narrative event happening at Adepticon 2022, known as the Gibbering Dome. The Gibbering Dome. Wait, it's an event? Oh yeah, wait, you guys talk about this. Uh, I didn't know, I didn't remember that was an event. It's okay. I don't think it was like something. Oh, yeah. It's both. Whatever you were thinking, yes. I'm waving my hand as if to encompass all of that. You're going to learn today. Yeah, I do. I do good radio. Uh, All right. So, (laughs) um, so, uh, usually what we do is we talk a little bit about what we have been up to in the hobby. So, I ask you, Will, what have you been up to in the hobby? You set me up for a trap with this one. I um, did. I did. I did. So I'm going to talk about my actual hobby, and then I'm going to talk about the hobby I should be doing, which will tie <laughs> into your hobby. Uh, All right. Actually, for my actual hobby, what I had talked about in our last episode was that you know I was kicking off a narrative event. We should be in the middle of it now while you're listening, Ooh. but it will be kicking off here shortly while we're recording. So some of the hobby I've done has just been doing final paint jobs and some of these miniatures and figureheads to get them ready to really bring some character to the Hungering Step. I've also finally, finally, after all of this time, assembled my Storm Drake Guard. Which, why would I be doing that? That's crazy. That's crazy, crazy talk. Why and then the other hobby I should be doing is that I am, <laughs> I am staring at this beautiful set of terrain that was given to me by no one in particular oh okay sounds good anyways what have, we, what have you been up to paul well i i will show you all right so i have no labels on my pictures sounds great we're gonna <laughs> wing it we're gonna do it live we got this we got this all right so um i'm going to 
post some pictures in the Discord again, Miss Spencer, and maybe they'll make sense. No guarantees. Send it. All right, there we go. That one makes sense. All right, so this is my first picture of the terrain that is from no one in particular. <laughs> what? Number two. Yeah. All right, what do you think those are made from? Okay, so it's not macaroni, is it? Um, it's not macaroni. Good, good call. Though. <laughs> All right, yeah. So we, we can. I can say some things that it's not. Um, it's it's um, is it some kind of pot, pasta? Maybe pencil. Pencils. Um, yes. Is it, it pencils? Yes. Uh, so will uh, is running the hungering step and we were talking back and forth about what civilization would look like in the hungering step and we came up some ideas and basically the the idea is is that it's not safe to live on the ground in the hungering step because jaws will open up and eat you yeah yeah so where would people live if they can't live on the ground and the idea was they would live on these rock formations that would spring from the ground and they would build their houses on the rock formations themselves. Oh, that's neat. I like those little, yeah, I can see them. Is, little, is that clay or cloth? Um, it is green stuff, putty, mm. um, is the generic term for what that is. So basically it's, it is a type of air dry clay uh, that you can use to mimic fabric and stuff like that. So well apparently it it does a good job because it does look like cloth (laughs) uh so yeah this was a a fun thing that i did for three days uh last week because i was inspired by uh by will talking about what he wanted to do so i'll show you that's a nifty arch i'm a big fan of that yeah that's a a realm gates is with the idea for that one so um yep i like that one too the best thing to do in the hungry step is leave it (laughs) (laughs) perfect yes i'm gonna show you one more picture what was the final toll of pencils used for the project oh uh actually it's nowhere near as many as i thought i was i bought 500 pencils to use and i only ended up using about 300 200 300 so I was like way off. Um, and then here is a picture of it kind of all set up together. So you can see our armies lined up on either side. And this is the game that we played as well. Whoa. <laughs> Path to Story, now sponsored by Ticonderoga Pencils, the Cadillac of the wooden pencil <laughs> world. Exactly. Yes, apparently. <laughs> Uh, so I was I was torn either to call this place like the Ticonderoga Flats <laughs> or, you know, like the number two city yeah. or uh, hard black. I thought would be a cool, like bad sounding name. Um, so that was one of the things that I did. And then the other thing is I did some stuff for my terrain, too, because I'm obsessed. I mean, I guess that's the only answer I can give for that. Um. <laughs> So I added a couple things for my Dawnbringer settlement too. You're going to notice some commonalities, I think. More pencils. So this is a set of barracks that was inspired by a sketch that's in the book. And then this is what's called an aqualith. So this is a floating island that produces clean water for my people to drink. 
Okay, that is pretty, pretty neat. So all the dark gray oh is, is Games Workshop plastic. The blue is also Games Workshop plastic. Um, but it's a, a different, it's an endless spell um, called uh, Malevolent Maelstrom. And then the white is actually that putty that was used as the cloth. So you can see some of it right around the trees and stuff. So, yeah. Wait, how much of this is just completely homebrewed in, on this figure? So the dark, so the the island itself with mm-hmm. the water coming down is the kit. And then I added two trees and then made kind of an arch. And then I added the floating islands and I added the spell. So the floating islands are all kind of my own thing. And then the putty around the trees is all my own thing. This so, is awesome. That look, you. it just looks like that is what this piece is. It fits so well together. Yeah, it really does. Well, thank, yeah, no, I I was super excited because it was inspired by a sketch by uh, one of the guys who writes the game called Phil Kelly. And he was excited to see it. So that made me happy. So, yeah. It was, so that's what I've been working on mostly. Just that, you know, crazy terrain for no apparent reason. So. <laughs> um and then are you all set then will did you have anything else to share um no i'm all set the pretty uneventful month and for those listening it was the month that encompassed the winter holidays yeah so hadn't had as much time at home as i thought i would ended up getting a fair amount of painting done Mm -hmm. on like one-off mini so a lot of like practicing different um paint schemes which has been fun oh nice and then yeah all right so we are going to start our normal uh starting point here so we're going to talk about our little short stories that we have to introduce the armies that we are currently running so i'm going to go ahead and uh, read my little blurb and then after that will will read hers er, not sorry and after that will will read his and then we'll move forward into the game that we played this week Petrol knelt and grasped a handful of the earth, crushing the loam between his fingers, the lambent gyronite magic in his necklace gifting life to seeds within. Scorched air gusted, tearing new growth from his fingers and dooming it as the grassland fire consumed all heat from within them. Comets of flame crashed to the ash and cooled to embers before winking into darkness. Petrol stood, framed by the ruination of the realm wrought by the storm-scale covenant. Lightning as they arrived, lightning as they fell. This place was made to burn, it must be said, but not in this season of the realms. Death and ash had been left after each confrontation. Need pressed on his mind, the desperate need to establish a Dawnbringer settlement to start renewing this distraught land. Crushing the soil with his foot, he spun and walked back towards his Draconith companion, framed by the raging grass fire consuming the hungering steps at his back. Extending his hand in comfort, he caressed Keldazai's wings and spoke in a soothing voice. Soon, he crooned. Soon will the realm roots guide you once again. High in the Tower of Scales, Thalen watched over the hungering steppe. Centuries ago, when he was a man, he called this place home. Now his clutch returned to secure the land for the Draconith Empire. Though his quest was given to him by the scions of the godbeast Dracothian, Thalen lamented what had to be done. The Dawnbringers of Sigma, in their naivete, threatened the continued survival of the Draconith. 
Thalen wished they could see the error of their ways, to realize that these lands were not for man, but for the chosen of Dracothian. But they would not listen to his words, only to the howling storm of battle. Winged drakes darted across the sky as the Stormscale Covenant began their assault. Crashes of thunder and bloody screams announced the first strikes in this war for survival. If the humans wished to die upon his blade, so be it. If they were truly worthy, then they would join him after death as one of the reforged. Until then, they were merely in his way. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Whoa. Whoa. First of all, a very earthy start. Very, very environmentally focused start in the first one. Forgot mm-hmm. he had a little dragon buddy. Yep. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then very dark. <laughs> yeah. I think very, <laughs> very, very cool. All very it's, epic. It's going to get darker each time, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm the good one in this whole scenario. Like, yeah. I thought that was understood. To each their own. You know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, if anything, the battle that took is, confirms it. Yeah, <laughs> so um, we I feel like played... one of these two is going to be more ruthless. Uh, yeah, maybe. Even though I don't care about my people as much, he doesn't care about other people as much. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I think he said it's kind of like he sees it as a favor. He's mm-hmm. like, you're welcome. I killed yeah. you. Congratulations. Well, so, and part of that is like my own twisted take on the Stormcast. Which is, you know, they are reforged. They are chosen heroes of Sigmar, and there are some like grim and dark. I'm trying not to say grim dark um, takes on them via like the Knights Excelsior, where like they will kill anyone that has any possible taint of chaos. It's better to just root it all out and get rid of it, even if it's someone that everyone else would claim to be innocent it's best to just get rid of it. And my thought was, these folks see it as, well, if only the righteous and the true can be reforged, therefore, if you don't get reforged, you probably weren't that good in the first place. Um, Which is a, like an incorrect viewing um, for me personally, but it's how I imagine some of the, some of these folks who have been reforged one too many times um, would view this. One too many hits the snake. Yeah. Uh, so the battle plan that we played is called a call for aid. Uh, so this is really interesting because I'm playing a Dawnbringer Crusade, and uh, Will is playing a Stormcast army. And the idea for this is that there is a a city of order that is under siege, and one of you has to try and get um, get reinforcements, and the other one is intended to stop it. Uh, but because of the way that we played out the story, because we discussed it beforehand, we played in the terrain that we had just um, designed together. And the idea was that it is a city of Sigmar, but destruction, so it's a city of not Sigmar, um, which functionally means... It's a cosmopolitan settlement that would have people from different races all working together for the betterment and security of each other. 
Um, and because of that, we decided that the Stormscale Covenant would be attacking, and I would be trying to defend them and trying to gain more people for my Dawnbringer Crusade. Yeah, you say that's true, Will? Yeah, because like you have a city right there, and it would best be served for the followers of Dracothian to reinforce and start expanding their territory since we're trying to terraform the land and we need these people to move they're not followers of sigmar so why should i ally with them it was kind of like the narrative we came up with which was especially ironic because of the quest that you were on yeah (laughs) (laughs) we can talk about that later yeah Uh, but the cool thing about this is that uh the narrative for this says that you're fighting over one quarter of the, of the city, basically. Um, and you kind of have this blind deployment where um, Will had to choose which quarter of the battlefield two of his parts of his army were going to deploy in. And then I got to choose which side that I wanted to deploy in, which meant that half of his deployment would not show up. But I didn't know which half, and he didn't know which side I was going to choose. So that's kind of a little mean, fun twist. Half so, of his wolves show up? Yes. Uh, he had to roll for the rest of the game to see if they would come up on the battlefield. Oh, so okay. Gotcha. In Age of Sigmar, there is a rule called reinforcements, which allows you to move units that did not start the game on the table onto the table. Um. Typically, a reinforcement is something that you decide before the game starts, and then you get to move them on at the end of the first round of movement or second round of movement or whatever. There's a defined time when they come on. But for this scenario, it was, well, you need to roll the dice and you hope you roll well. <laughs> so um, so that was a... like I, I thought the scenario was super fun, and the way that you won was that I was intending to send out messengers. And if enough messengers got out and free, then I was going to secure the victory because the victory was to get reinforcements. The victory wasn't to win the battle, as it were. So um, we kind of changed it a little bit because it would have been very, very easy for me to win this, no problem whatsoever, because three of my units can come on basically anywhere on the battlefield that I wanted to and then run off the battlefield and I would have won. So instead of where the scenario says two out of three had to escape, we used the rule that three out of three had to escape. So Will, why don't you talk about um, how your game went from your side? Yeah. So when the everything was decided and you, you chose which like, corner of the map people would start deploying from Mm -hmm. based on my decisions it would be my fulminators and a unit of vindictors that would deploy into the battlefield whereas thalen and another unit of annihilators would try to be reinforcements the other thing that we had talked about is that I have my Scions of the Storm ability. Instead of splitting the army into two, I kind of split it into three. One to deploy from one corner, one to deploy from the other, and then one to deploy basically with free reign. Mm-hmm. 
And that group was a unit of Annihilators and... Oh, no. It was just a unit of Annihilators. Mm -hmm. I didn't have very many units. (laughs) And uh, like you mentioned, it was based on rolling well for me to get my reinforcements onto the table. And I rolled lots of sixes, which is normally great. Mm -hmm. Except it was like golf where I needed to roll low. Uh, Yep. So Thalen didn't end up actually participating in the battle at all. He, he had something else that was far more important than coming and, you know, squashing a, a city of destruction, obviously. Yeah, he had to monologue. I mean, he was monologuing <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you say he had something more important than squashing a city of destruction. I would argue the opposite. <laughs> he had more important things than to kill some messengers. He was mm. too busy squashing a city of destruction. <laughs> Fair. He was having... He was he was too dug into the main battle to to deal with the the stragglers. All right, I'll accept it. Um, yeah. So really, the my forces on the battle was like half of my army. It was my fulminators, Griffix and Corum, my annihilators with grand hammers, and my vindictors. I ended up like winning the fights that I participated in with those small units. Mm-hmm. The fulminators got revenge on your celestial hurricanum. Yep. Uh, it was the first time both of our big units were on the table and I squeaked away a win only because of the dual veteran abilities of my fulminators, mm-hmm. their ability to move and charge. I mean, run, and charge once per game mm-hmm. is literally the only reason I closed the distance with your Hurricanum before you could shoot me off the table. Well, and because of the rules of the scenario, the Hurricanum was not allowed to deploy far enough forward to use yep. any of its abilities in the first round. Yeah. And because magic happens in the first phase of the turn, even if I were to deep strike the Hurricanum, which I could do because I can deep strike half of my units as a living city army. It would deep strike after the ability to use magic had already passed. So it's a really good unit for sitting back and defending, but it's hard for me to figure out how to use it correctly in the way that I'm playing the army because it starts out so far back. And if I want to move forward at all, then I I have to sacrifice its best ability, which is doing all kinds of mortal wounds on you. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it it's an interesting uh, question I'm going to have to figure out. So, um, yeah. And then a lot of my units just were peppered by mm-hmm. arrows from your Shadow Warriors and from Petrol who were sitting up in the terrain. Yep. I tried moving my Vindictors in close, and I, I honestly was banking on my reinforcements coming in to hopefully screen any of your people coming in from the trees more or less. Yeah. And failing those rolls, I realized that I had some shoddy deployment and at the end, uh, it really came down to a making a charge roll to see if my fulminators could charge, um, your reinforcements. Mm-hmm. And I just, I couldn't quite pull it off and nope. some of your messengers escaped. Yep. So two out of three messengers made it off the table, but not the third. Uh, so we counted that as a minor victory for you. 
because uh, I did not achieve my my objective. Um, but I'm super excited. I haven't even rolled for it yet, but I get to actually go dip into my storm vault now. Yes, uh, because I earned that in the last game, and I'm I'm excited to roll that right before we start the next game. Um, so that'll be fun. Uh, that was my territory that I gained in my second to last game. And I get to see if I get to kill one of my heroes in order to gain a free artifact. We we shall see. Man, I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wherever whatever it is, it probably belongs in a museum. <laughs> well, uh, got lost uh, in his own museum. <laughs> oh man. Oh, that's, that's like Sigmar all over, isn't it? I was gonna say that's a funny get... twist. If... So Spencer, what do you know about Storm Vaults? <laughs> Uh, okay, so what do I... I I remember you guys talking about this last time. You guys had like unlocked access to something, and I'm guessing a storm bolt is a like a dungeon in Dungeons & Dragons where you have to fight to get some prizes in there? Potentially. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it's used a lot in like dungeon delves now. And that's like if you if you were a normal person and you came across a storm vault, that's what it would be. Yep. But the history of the storm vaults is not necessarily about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was first created? What was it was called an enlightenment engine? Essentially, the the hoity toity elves from the realm of light wanted to make everyone smarter, good, or both. Yeah, good, you mean good, smarter. Elves. Yeah, elves. A e l v e s. So yep. this is something that we've—I don't know how we've avoided it, but we have avoided it. Every race name is a copyrightable term in Games Workshop. So it's elves, but it's a e l v e s. Elves, right? It's, I... it's dwarden, but they're they're dwarves, but they're dwarden. Right, like Oryx or Oryx, Oryx, um, O R R U K S. Yeah. yeah, that one I noticed in editing. Like, oh right, I I am saying Oryx. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So that's why he said elves, because elves, yeah. uh, ogres. Mm-hmm. No, it's ogres. Yep, exactly. I love it. So <laughs> the the elves um, wanted to make everyone smart, good, and then. The God King Sigmar, the person who created the Stormcast, said, well, that's a cool make smart engine. What if I made it a hide everything engine instead? Mm -hmm. Joke's on you, nerds. And Mm -hmm. so he used that to hide these storm vaults. So really, the storm vaults were supposed to be museums Mm -hmm. that were then turned into uh, ways to hide and showcase treasures Buried that treasures. were stolen from yep. other civilizations. If only mm-hmm. there was some sort of term for that in modern society. Yeah, I, I don't think Britain knows any term for that whatsoever. <laughs> uh, but the twist is, not only did he turn these from intelligence engines to forget-me engines, because they're forget-me engines and because he put some really dangerous stuff in some of these, you actually have to have a battery functionally to power it. And one of the, the Black Library stories has a character who literally is immortal and her entire life has just been spent after like the age of 40 sitting and powering this engine because Sigmar told her that this is what she should do. And so she spent thousands of years watching the rest of the world 
pass by as she has used all of her power to just simply maintain this one engine. Um, typically, uh, it has been implied that most of the things that power it are bad things, right? Like a god beast or something like that that couldn't yeah. that was too dangerous. But there is an actual human cost to to uh, powering these forget me engines. So that's what I found. So I can go down and find cool stuff. But, you know, other things might happen, too. It's quite possible. This this lore is just so deep. I'm not surprised. I'm just appreciative of the amount of work that every single dungeon in the ground has a backstory that spans eons. Well, do you want to know the, the funniest thing about it? In game terms, do you know what they were intended to be? They were intended to be hills. They were intended to be plastic hills. But plastic <laughs> hills are boring. So they decided to make them plastic platforms. And it was only oh, yeah. in the last stage of designing the models that one of the designers was like, hey, why do you, why do you have these like gear symbols on the, the temple things? Oh, just look cool. Hey, what if they're dungeons? What if this is the entrance to the dungeon? And what if in the dungeon they have these like treasures? And what if these treasures could like destroy the whole and then that was it. So literally all they wanted to do was make hills that didn't look like hills because hills are boring. So we're going to make these little temple things. And then it became this whole background of everything just because somebody put gears on top of one of them. Uh. That's great. I didn't know that part. Yeah. Ultimate yes and like Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um and actually Spencer, you have seen these. Um in some of our Warcry games, if we ever play if we ever use like my temple terrain, that yeah. that was the terrain set. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google this. I have to remind myself what it looks like. It it really is just like a rectangle, like, well, but with just a bunch of etchings on it. But it's cool looking, like it's yeah. awesome. There's a lot of detail to it. Mm-hmm. But when as soon as you said like there were supposed to be hills, but hills are boring. Yeah, I immediately like, oh, that makes perfect sense for what the end result was. Yeah. <laughs> well, they have four rectangles, but then they also have a half circle, and you can do some other cool stuff. But it, it's functionally they're just little ziggurats. Yeah. Um and. The, the half circles actually have a ton of very intentional storm vault design. Um, so they're cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, did anything else about the game you want to talk about, Will? Um, not the game itself. Okay. Any um, I know. Yeah, say the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Um, two main things happened for me. The one is something that you had mentioned earlier. Uh, it was ironic that I was the one attacking the the city, mm-hmm. and that's because of the quest I was on, which is called <laughs> Guardians of the Dawn. Oops. The, the yeah, the reason I chose this quest is because for the Stormcast, there are two narrative battle plans that only the Stormcast like have access to. Mm-hmm. And the way to unlock those battle plans is to complete this quest. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. Perfect. Because I want to try the new narrative game. 
But after we started, I was reading the description, which says, Few duties are as critical as protecting the newly founded settlement of Sigmar's Crusades. <laughs> and when the call for aid, oh no, <laughs> is heard, there's no respite. Like, ah. It was literally called call for aid. <laughs> I goofed. Oops. Yeah, I kind of I kind of <laughs> did the opposite here. So that was part of my thought of, well, they're not a city of Sigmar. They're yeah. uh, an unaligned city of destruction. Exactly. I'm, Making a city of Sigmar. <laughs> Ignoring the other city of Sigmar standing right over there. Exactly. Mission accomplished. You know, they're boring yeah, right and whatnot. And um, then the the main thing mm-hmm. that is the reason I finally assembled my Storm Drake Guard is that I have added them to my order of battle. So I now mm-hmm. finally in my Draconith inspired <laughs> army have Draconith in my army. <laughs> finally. Um, finally. <laughs> uh, and for your information, Spencer, I'm going to share a picture, but these two are... They're just knights riding dragons. Oh, that's all. That's, that's, that's it. You know, your class. Nothing much. Oh, God, dragons are just so cool. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. th- but now you guys both... I mean, he's also got Draconith, so like, you know... Yeah. Oh, but they are so cool. Sounds like I planned it. <laughs> um, and the other cool thing that that does, on top of like fulfilling my mission of Draconith, is I can now play a two thousand point game with my Path to Glory army. Mm-hmm. I it is now officially doubled in size. Because um, I just started find with a mass of the points. dragons alone. <laughs> <laughs> they they are worth a fair chunk of change because um, Games Workshop released them at a certain point level and then people realized how good they were and then Games Workshop said, actually, they cost more. And then Put everybody said, wait, wait, you shouldn't have reduced the points. They're not as good as we thought they were. So yeah. All right. We, we were just talking. <laughs> Other than the Aether Wings, because clearly superior, this is the coolest figure I've ever seen. This yeah. is... Too cool. That's what this game is made for. In my brain, it's this nonsense that it should just cover the board, and I love it. Yeah, we've been waiting six years for dragon models, and we finally got them. And they're awesome. But they're called Draconith, because, you know. TM. Ignore that. They're their own thing. TM, 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 TM. So I am excited because I'm actually going to order add some Sisters of the Thorn to my order of battle. Ooh. Um, after this one, so I... Those aren't I, the Euro ones, right? Or Gyro or whatever? The Gyran? Got, yeah. Different. Uh, they're, they are they're, uh, elves that are riding deer. They're riding stags, and they cast spells. That sounds and like I, a strong contender for a top I, model. I know, right? They're pretty good. And so the these these Draconith and Dragons, they're like more or less some of the newest models Games Workshop has put out. But correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, the Sisters of the Thorn existed in the, the world that was. Correct. They're older than Age of Sigmar, and yeah. they're still so cool. They're beautiful. Yeah. Let's see if I can find that. That is a small picture. I'm looking for a good picture. No guarantees. Yeah, no, they're. I've had them assembled for forever. I just haven't had an army to put them in. 
And I was like, oh, hey, I could actually put them in this army. It would make sense. And theoretically, it would be me, be me being strategic, which is something I'm not known for. But maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Nice. It, it is always fun when I'm like, yeah, Draconids, they're a strategic choice. I mean, yeah. a narrative choice. But everyone's just like, oh, yeah, you're adding dragons. The good unit. Narrative. Yeah. <laughs> it nailed it. Shut right. up. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's narrative. The narrative can be, I'm, I'm out to destroy everything, and that's acceptable. Which is yeah. kind of your narrative. I'm out to destroy everything and make it all my own. Exactly. Um, so there is the leader that I posted in the Discord, Spencer. Which is a super cool model. Yep, that is another really cool one. It looks a little like a Pokemon, TM. I I- <laughs> that, yeah. yeah, the blue and the white doesn't help yeah. the uh, naturalistic uh, look of the model. All right, that may or may not be working its way into my Ram of the Frost main uh, campaign. We'll see. That's a that's a pretty <laughs> great, pretty great you're finally, design. You're finally learning the true reason to do D and D and to be a dungeon master, exactly. which is to steal things from Warhammer yes. and then throw them at unsuspecting players. Oh, that's not, nothing. I've you know I've never seen that happen before. Sure, I don't I don't know if that would have ever happen. Ever in a game? Not even once with, <laughs> never with OCR Bone Reapers. Never, never ever. Anything else about the game? No, I think that about covers it. It was a it was a good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of fun. Could have gone either way. Really did depend on how those like charges rolled out and how the damage turned. And yep, yeah, I was happy with it. Uh, I I was just excited to play on the terrain. Uh, yeah, that was oh, super yeah. fun. <laughs> I like making uh, terrain that has different levels of combat, and uh, that totally worked. So I was super. Did it make line of sight really weird? A little bit, of- and that's that's something I really like mm. too. Is being able to hide things if you want to, right? So um, one of my guys, uh, Petrol, was on top of it. He was on one of the paths, but that meant he was eight inches away from the ground. So um, that meant that none of Will's units could actually walk up close to me. So they had to charge from the ground, um, which was a, yeah. kind of a fun thing because that's that's what his character would do anyway. He would put himself in a place where he would be able to fire um, safely and then be able to defend himself if he yeah. needed to. And so. what ended up happening is I moved my my spearmen, my vindictors, to one of the other columns to move them up, and they were going to cross the bridge to try and get to them. Mm-hmm. But then at that point, I had pulled them away from where they were defending, and your shadow warriors deployed, and then the next turn escaped. So yep. it, it really worked out that way. The other fun thing, especially with line of sight and movement, um, the reason it was a tricky charge for my fulminators to get in mm-hmm. is because you love wrapping your hurricaneum with your um, mortal units. Yep. And they were lined up perfectly next to the terrain where I couldn't get my fulminators around them in like a straightish line. Mm-hmm. So they had to like weave but into the realm gate to come around. Yep. And that's why. It, that's why I made the charge a lot harder. If it was just a straight line, it would have been like an easy, super easy roll, no issue. But because I had to like do this dance around the terrain, it made it a lot more complicated. 
And dragon of dancing is fun. Let me tell oh, you. Oh yeah. <laughs> the dance of the two dragons. Mhm. Exactly. All right. Um so, uh should we move on to the second half of this uh episode? We certainly should. All right. So, um this is going to be a question and answer session. Where Spencer asks questions and I try and answer them to the best of my ability. And uh, we're going to be covering uh, the Gibbering Dome event at Adepticon. So, Spencer, go ahead. Okay. First, <laughs> um, okay. So, there's, there's, there's three words in there Gibbering Dome and Adepticon. Ade- I'm going mm-hmm. to stab. I'm going to take a stab. Adepticon. Nerd uh-huh. convention. Yes. Question mark? Okay. Yeah. The, the, I don't know if it's the largest anymore, but it was the largest uh, nerd miniatures convention in the world. Oh, is this the way they, they all get together and they like show off the paint jobs that are really good? Yes. Yeah. Especially this year because Games Workshop is running their own painting competition called Golden Demon in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time in like 10 years that they've run one on American soil. Because they kind of retreated and did it only in the UK for the last ten years, so and because the pandemic just ended, ish, you know, like as in people can still travel. It's not ended, but pandemic travel restrictions have ended to the point where they can come over now. There's going to be all kinds of insane painters that have been painting things for the last two years that are going to be showing off amazing paint jobs. So I'm immensely excited for that. Okay, so I think I get that one. Um... Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Um, the the gibbering dome. All right, so that's part of this convention. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's an event it's, at Adepticon. It's an event, but that's such a weird word. Uh, okay, so I'll bite. What is the gibbering dome? Um. So if I tell you that. The idea came from trying to make an, a fantasy version of the Wisconsin State Capitol. Would that make the name make sense? Yes, it would. I love that building. Not everyone yes. knows it the same way, but I love it. Maybe, did you, you might have mentioned this, which is why I'm like not shocked that that's mm-hmm. the explanation. It does sound like they took the Windy City, right? Yep. The name of Chicago. They're like, yeah, everyone there so talks all the time. They're like, how can we apply that to politics to this weird building? Ah, yes. Gibbering. Yep. At Fitz. So um, the idea is that it is, I just wanted to pick a, a gorgeous building that is in our city and try and make my own version of it into like Age of Sigmar. Um, and the reason why I wanted to do that is because it was always intended to be a, a narrative setting. And um, because it's a narrative setting, I wanted it to be one that wasn't directly in the lore, at least not at first, because I wanted to create a space where crazy things could happen that wouldn't affect everything that was going on with the lore of the game. Um, One of the hallmarks of Warhammer Fantasy was if you took any of the big characters, it was hard for you to justify why they were doing something in as small as a battle because they all had their place in the world and they were doing the thing that was their place in the world. And so what I decided to do was create this 
narrative setting where the big thing about Age of Sigmar is that you have all these gods walking around and doing cool things, right? Like Sigmar is sending his armies to go and conquer the realms, and Alariel is a miniature that you can run with the Sylvaneth or in the Living City army. Um, all these gods actually play on the table, and we get these minutes of their life and years where we don't know what's going on. But because the gods are very much the main actors in the story that we have, I wanted to create a place where the gods couldn't go. And so the idea is, is there's eight realms in the mortal realms. I think we've talked about that before, right? Mm-hmm. So this is intended to be a space in the middle between the realms. And it's created out of um, what's called Voidstone or um, Nullstone. And what that does is it negates magic. So as a god, you are some kind of embodiment of the realm itself. So Sigmar is very much an embodiment of the realm of Azir, and he is the god of Azir, right? Nagash is very much the embodiment of death, and he is the god of Shayesh. But if you were to create an enclosed space that was completely surrounded by Nullstone, then no god would be able to enter because they couldn't separate themselves from the magic inherent in their realm. Does that make sense? At first, I was worried I wasn't going to follow, but no, that does make sense. Yeah, and they've already kind of laid this in the background where there's two gods, um, Marathi and Malarian, that are in the realm of shadow, which is called Ogu. And then there's two other elven gods called Tyrion and Teclis that are from the realm of light. But because light and shadow are opposites, Tyrion and Teclis, who are the gods of the realm of light, can't go into the realm of shadow. And Malarian and Marathi, who are the gods of shadow, can't go into the realm of light because it's their opposite. So there's already an establishment in the lore that there there are narrative ways in which this doesn't work. And so I wanted to create a place where where the gods are real and like atheism isn't really a thing that makes sense because you know the gods exist because you've watched them walk around in front of you and you've watched them found these cities, right? Well, if you disagree with the gods, where do you go? And I wanted to create a place that would become a haven for that. Um, no, does this mean that a lot of characters... So is it against gods or against magic? Because don't characters it, like use magic? So this means like it's like a no magic zone? It is. It's not a no magic zone. It was actually something I struggled with to begin with because I was like, it's going to be no magic, but then a bunch of armies don't work. Because like Soulblight Gravelords... They need to raise zombies from the dead. Otherwise, their army doesn't really work. That's kind of one of their main mechanics. So if I said, yeah, you can play these guys, but you can't use any magic, then their army wouldn't work at all, right? And as I was working through how this place would exist, I realized that as long as you weren't forced to go through the Null Stone or the Void Stone itself, and you were able to come through a Realm Gate, then you could travel through with magic as long as you weren't using magic to get through. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So um, in the past, the dome was actually anchored to two of the realms. um, And those anchors ended up being destroyed 
during a cataclysm that was caused by Teclis because the people that were living in the dome had become, who knows, perhaps too intelligent um, and he saw them as a threat or yes. perhaps too independent and he didn't like that they were, it's not necessarily specific as to what actually happened. Um, Is Teclis like a tectonic plate god who like that created an earthquake? Sense. And then broke the chains. Ironically, Kragnos is a tectonic plate god and the god of earthquakes. But no, Teclis is um, the god of enlightenment and intelligence, basically. Um, He's the one who built those intelligence engines. Um, And Mm. so what he did is uh, the way that this place became so intelligent was that they would have people coming from all the realms. And when the people died, if you die in the realms, you automatically go to the gash unless you devoted yourself to another god, right? But if you've devoted yourself to another god or Nagash, that means that you have to leave the dome. And so the dome itself actually has this web in the ceiling created by these giant spider golems, functionally, <laughs> Um and uh, a homebrew of yours with spiders? No way. I know, right? Right. <laughs> I don't believe you. Um, and if you bind yourself into the web, then your soul never leaves. But the web gains all the information that you knew. Right? So this was the mechanism that allowed them to become so intelligent and be able to sustain themselves despite not having the help of the gods. And despite not having a place that we would necessarily be able to grow food or et cetera, because if you're, you know, in a building suspended in the middle of space, you're not necessarily going to have great farmland. Right. Um, but what Teclis did is he, he created an offering to go into the realms that are uh, to go into the gibbering dome that swallowed a piece of realm stone itself. And the realm stone was void stone. And when that offering that had Voidstone within it went into the web, it caused an, it, it caused a problem where these golems started malfunctioning because for the first time they had been presented with the lack of information instead of the addition of information. And some of them basically went berserk and started wandering the realms. So... Uh, that's still a thing that uh, is a thread that I might pick up later. But because when they left the realms, they actually destroyed these anchors. And the the building itself started spinning in the middle of the void. And that causes an issue because <clears throat> it's the realm gates that are within the dome itself don't have a permanent connection to anywhere anymore. Because it's constantly in this rotating... Uh, orbit throughout the void mm-hmm. but because it is, an, it, it is in an orbit it will make some of those contacts again momentarily right is it a it's like it's a compass orbit is it is it like a it's a relatively orbit? predictable orbit see so yes. it's like all right um, 14 seconds it'll be passing by this one connection Jump. exactly <laughs> and so that was actually the idea is the first event people went through the realm gate because it was open and then made it into the dome 
and then were defeated, but they lost something valuable to themselves. And then they were able to leave again, but they had to come back like 30 years later with an army to regain the thing that was lost, right? Because it is this predictable yet very rare occurrence, but you could still tell when it was going to happen. Um, and so because it is supposed to be a narrative thing, it's also gets updated every time that there is an event so that the lore is more current. Um, so because I read so much of the black library stuff, I go through and I'm like, Oh, this doesn't make sense anymore because this clashes with this bit of the lore or Hey, this little hook all of a sudden makes perfect sense for what's going on in here. Right. And so for example, uh, there was a box set for Warcry called red harvest. And in red harvest, they have this mining terrain because they're mining a realm stone from the eight points, which is this like little realm in the void as well. Um, but in order to mine the realm stone, they need to have void stone buckets. And it specifically says that they are chilled void stone buckets. And because the dome is made of void stone, it would make perfect sense that some chaos tribes would go and try and start mining the void stone out of the dome, right? Because there's a, a massive amount of this resource here. This place so has then, had a, a pretty aggressively quick fall from grace. It was like, here's the sanctuary from the power of gods. Oh, it's spinning mm -hmm. wildly in space and people are actively hacking it apart. Don't mind the droids, though. They're just a little crazy sometimes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> Woo, well, three. Yeah, and and that's kind of what, what I'm trying to do is what they do so well with Age of Sigmar, right? Is they're like, oh... We're going to create these two armies fighting a battle, right? And we're going to make a box set and we're going to release the two armies. But then they create this whole background of why these two armies are right here right now. And, oh, this is the story that you're going to fight out. And then what's going to happen to them after we're afterwards? That's where you come in, right? And, and that's what's super cool about it. Because, um, in, for example, in the Broken Realms, we had nothing for forever. But then we had the Seasons of War, and then the city of Anvilgard was founded and flourished for 300 years. But then in Broken Realms, Marathi took over Anvilgard, so it's no longer there anymore. Now it's called Harkiron, and its allegiance has switched, right? But if you, if you hook into these little narrative lines, you can really tell a cool story between the lines of the narrative. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, and, and not only that, but... I mean, all of this background is, it, it just kind of fits the general vibe that I've picked up of it, all the rest of the canon. So mm -hmm. 10 out of 10. Well, good. Thank you. Uh, I, I I have worked hard on it, but it's it's also just, it's fun for me to do the thought experiment of what if this place existed? How would we make it work? What would be cool? What would be different? Right? So, um, and so, yeah, so this is a third year of running it. Uh, 2018, 2019, and now 2022. So I'm super, super pumped um, to run this event again. And Will's going to help me, which is amazing. Yeah. And we just had registration yesterday, and the event is definitely full and sold out and all that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm super oh. excited to have fun playing narrative with everybody in Chicago in March. I, I mean, I'm not even surprised if you could experience this entirely brand new unique world that is i mean is is more 
chaotic, more modern chaotic than than what we've been what I know now, which is this world that wants to eat you all the time. <laughs> like that's normal. I yeah, mean, that's that's pretty normal. <laughs> I, I guess I don't know. I just that's really neat. I'm not surprised it's sold out. How many people? How many people usually attend this? Uh, so usually I run it for 16 people because I want to I want it to be relatively small because the point like my goal is not that everybody looks at my narrative and goes, oh my goodness, this narrative is amazing, right? Or they look at the tables that I play and be like, oh, this is so amazing that, that you made the train, right? The point is to create enough interest for the players that when they walk in, they immediately can see a story and are able to start telling that story with the other players, right? That's my idea of what a narrative event is. And so to facilitate that this year, every player is actually going to get a rival and an ally that they're going to work through the event to develop their narrative as to why this person is my rival and why this person is my ally and how do we make that work and how do we tell our story together? Because those are the things that really excite me. That is awesome. That is awesome. I love to hear that kind of teamwork. Yeah. So like, it's just fun when you get, you know, 20 passionate people together because we're going to have four we're hopefully going to have four games masters as well who are players who are just going to be there to help facilitate everybody else's storytelling right and just create this like narrative of fun playing games so the idea is that the as we're doing with the path to story podcast right we have a story and then we create the plot by playing games of warhammer and then we change our story as it happens um and then come up with a different story at the end of the event so it is just one day uh but it is super exciting for me well you excited i assume you're equally excited yeah no i'm super excited um from like participating in my first narrative event to immediately hopping in to just help out as paul runs this and helping out the players as they're getting set up slash I've always heard of Adepticon, and <laughs> by the time I was finally like active in the community, Adepticon wasn't going on for a few years. Yeah. So I'm excited to to be there. I got my registration. I'm all set up, ready to go. I'm gonna go see the Warhammer preview. Mm-hmm. A, yeah. A preview? Is this where they're like? Yeah. Oh my okay. God. Explain what is a preview for the, <laughs> in, the, in the in the context right. of Warhammer. So I'm familiar with the word. Hmm. So you know how uh, they have E3? Yeah, the big about all the video cool... game conference. Yeah. yeah, they tell you about all the cool video games that are coming out in the next year? Uh, the only thing I remember most is that they are like, this is Diablo Mobile, and then everyone like left. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you not have models? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so what this is, is this is functionally the E3 for Games Workshop. So every big big event they send employees from nottingham to come and tell you all the cool stuff that's coming in the next couple months right um so yeah it is this wait uh, so i guess i'm wax space that is cool is this the first time an event like this where it's like a social share story has been hosted at adepticon this is new no, right this is, a- like, this is brand new right this is the third time because I've done okay. this. I've run this event two times before, and then we're running it the third time. Oh, um, okay. this year finally. So, 
Gotcha. So you know what you're signing up for then? Yes. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> yep. He does. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. But everybody else has an idea of what it is. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for everybody to enjoy it and have fun with it. So, How many total people usually come to this conference? Seminar, workshops? Um, thousands. I forget. Um, it's going to be a little bit less this year because of all the travel restrictions and stuff. So, And I forget if we had mentioned it, but... Like Adepticon is not just for Warhammer. There's no. a lot of other things. Actually, Spencer, you will really love this. I was going through the events to register. Wingspan. And I saw that they have a Wingspan tournament. I yep. knew it! I knew it! <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm only excited about one thing. Oh, I love Wingspan. This is a great game. It's 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 a pretty good game. I almost said greatest game, but then I remembered, oh yeah, I'm on a podcast currently about a whole other game. So <laughs> <laughs> that also um, does technically have bird figures. So there are bird yes. figures. It does does have the bird figures, so it, it's good. But yeah, yeah, no, we actually have this home rule too that oh man, it's I Wingspan. I have all of it. I might I might see you guys at Adepticon. Yeah, right. But you'll see me at the Wingspan table. It's in Illinois. What I love about Wingspan is it, like, everything is factually accurate. And that's amazing. Like, Mm -hmm. the different habitats and, like, the way they have their net. Like, yeah. This is going to become a Wingspan podcast. Yeah, no. My mom is, is like, a massive bird watcher. And so, like, I know all this stuff about these birds. And I'm like, oh, this actually makes sense. Oh, that's really cool. Like, I'm just really impressed with the design that went into making that game because it makes sense as a game, but it also is correct. And it, that's just impressive. As a, a experience, it is a very different game than like games like Warhammer. It's not oh, the yeah. same kind of competitive. It is only competitive mm-hmm. at the very end. It feels like, like the whole up to the point you're kind of playing on your own isolated board. You're not sharing a space I don't know. Getting else. getting those resources from the birdhouse seems pretty uh, that that's true. Me. That's yeah. resources. <laughs> Anyways, this is a, a right. wingspan podcast. You got it was a matter yeah. of time with me on this podcast. Welcome to Wings of Story. <laughs> uh, Adepticon had sixty five hundred attendees in twenty nineteen. So it it's is pretty big. Um, yeah, the last one would have been 2019. Yep. Well, I know I was there. Uh, well, um, a, a little bit morbid. I remember like catching up on the Mortal Realms podcast over the pandemic uh-huh. and hearing the episodes like, yeah, Depticon 2020, getting ready. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, no. Paul. Yeah. No, that destroyed me. <laughs> like, there was like a literally a week. I just didn't think it was possible. Like yeah. the the thing was, I didn't think it was actually possible for them to cancel everything. Yeah. And even when they started closing things, I was like, but they can't cancel this. Like there's so much money involved and like and then when they canceled it, I was just like, Oh. Like That'll this is my this. world now. Because <laughs> this is the thing, right? So uh, the other reason I'm so excited about this is because Adepticon is my vacation. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm a stay at home dad and 365 days a year i take care of my kids adepticon is my week off every year and it's my week 
and I get to do whatever I want to, and I get to spend whatever I want to within reason, right? Like I get to go and hang out with my friends and I don't have to worry about anything but having fun. And that that the pandemic closures happened right before that meant that I had no vacation for over a year mm-hmm. when it got canceled. And then when it didn't happen in 2021, then I didn't have a vacation for two years. So it's been three years since I've had a vacation where I just get to go have fun and not be around my kids. Not that I don't love my kids, but like I want my vacation. <laughs> like, yeah, It's sure. part of what keeps me sane. The hobby is exactly. part of what keeps me sane. And talking to other people about the hobby makes me happy. So yeah, I'm super excited to get my vacation this year. Yeah. I'm I'm really excited and coming at it from a new person perspective of you know, it's been years of this pandemic and a lot of events shut down. I went I went to Holy Havoc and I got to meet Velasa Chapter and I got to talk to a lot of other people. Yeah. But there are a lot of names of folks I've been interacting with in this hobby. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be my chance to see parts of their faces. <laughs> like, exactly. actually, like, oh, you're a human. This is great. <laughs> yeah. You exist in real life. And, and that's what these disclosure. events are for. It takes yeah. these national and international communities based on this hobby and brings them physically together. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure pre-internet, they served a different purpose of, like, this is how you met people. Um, and now... Like, I don't know, now that, like, it's online communities, you're talking to these people and it's your chance to actually be there together. Yeah, I mean, the the thing for me is that I've been going to Adepticon for, I don't know, 12, 13 years now? Something crazy like that. Um, And Adepticon was the first time that I met somebody that I recognized not because of their face. Right, like uh, so, there was a a Warhammer podcast that was a big deal for a long time uh, that sadly ended a couple of years ago called Healing Hammer, and I remember I was walking through Adepticon and I had seen that they were going to be there, right? And all of a sudden, I stopped because I heard them talking, and I recognized oh. their voices, and then I turned around and I'm like, I I know you. Like, <laughs> I've listened to your podcast for 10 years, right? Like, and I'm like, you're Dan Healan and you're Wayne Kemp. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we are. And then I had to stop and I had to literally process in my head that these are the faces that went with the voices that I've been listening to for 10 years. Right? Like, that's the crazy kind of thing that happens at Adepticon is everybody just wants to hang out and have fun. And all of a sudden... You have to reorient your mind in order to include an actual real person to this stuff that you've been listening to and talking to and all this kind of stuff. It's it's amazing. Yeah. One of the interesting things is I realize I'm going to be recognizing miniatures yeah. and paints. Yes. Um, because I, I've been looking looking over Twitter uh, and like online to see who is going to be coming to the Gibbering Dome. Yeah. And um Martin Orlando yep. and one of his armies is coming and he is just I'll see if I can find a picture of his elves for you Spencer but he has a phenomenal 
elven army and he has put so much work into this army and he's definitely going for the golden demon and going for all these painting awards mm-hmm. and he's going to be playing in the the gibbering dome so i'm going to i'm going to see those miniatures and like oh right this is martin and i know mangle uh mm-hmm. mangle miniatures or uh, someone who also gets regularly asked by gw to write articles on painting and on converting and like and creating like beautiful creations I saw he mentioned he's going to be at Gibbering Dome. So I'm like, I'm going to see these crazy miniatures and go, oh, right. This is the person I've been following for years. Mm-hmm. So to break that down for you, Spencer, right? There's that what? one canyon in Arizona uh-huh. where all those hummingbirds show up and only there, right? Okay. I you don't know, know what I'm talking about. This. No, but I can imagine it. It's like what monarchs do in Mexico, right? Like where they all appear in the yeah. trees. Okay. There's one specific canyon or canyon area in Arizona where like five different species of hummingbirds all gather together. And it's the only place you can see all five of them together. Right. Imagine if you like you spent your life watching birds and you're like, hey, I want to go see these hummingbirds. And you've been studying them so you can identify them and you know what they are. Right. And then you get there and you just get to stand and you get to absorb everything and see them right finally we get to see them you've been playing this trip for how long right and that's what it is at adepticon that's different than a normal hobby tournament because like for a board game like you get to play board games that's great you get to go and hang out with your friends that's great right but because of warhammer it's i get to go see art that i love and have been watching for years and i might not even know who the person looks like but i know their art right so like that's the amazing thing about Adepticon is that you get to see the person and then what you know of them as well. And then you get to combine the two into like one actual entity. It just blows my mind. Yeah. So. All right. All. I am officially a little jealous. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it now. Uh, gosh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait to hear about the stories from Adepticon. Me neither. Super pumped and hype. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Uh, Will just posted a picture of Martin's miniatures in the in the thread. Those those are those light elves who yeah. work with Teclas and help make those enlightenment engines. That's that's and... not real though, right? Like that's that's <laughs> what is the deep the amount of deep This is yeah. it looks like real rocks and and this armor is so mm detailed does it paint like Mm -hmm. for the books is this who this man is no 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 this is just fun he goes to the metropolitan opera or the metropolitan museum in new york for inspiration on how to paint his miniatures like not even kidding (laughs) there are our worst places for inspiration that i mean this is amazing this is and this is just going to be a shout out to martin and his um how he uses his narrative as a part of his art yeah because every one of his like unit champions he converts heavily there are like pieces from models that are no longer in production yeah where people would be like this model is my centerpiece and he's like you know it'd be great if i cut it up and use it to do conversions yep um and martin is playing in the gibbering dome as well all right so i'm sorry will 
You're gonna have to step it up on the painting if you're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not participating in the game. I'm walking between tables and helping answer questions. <laughs> I mean, I, you you will get to play as well. Will you will get your own army to play and to help form the narrative? Yeah, so, yeah. And that's what sort of like the NPC army, right? Yeah, yeah. Each of these swords in on his characters looks like it has yeah. like its own epic backstory. Like every single one of mm-hmm. them is like their own Excalibur. That's mm-hmm. what this looks like. Well, yeah, that's what the background for Warhammer is, right? Like it, it literally is like every single weapon that you see in game on the table is supposed to be this immensely finely crafted weapon that has been passed down from generation to generation that has told these stories, right? For the elves. I mean, for the goblins, for the grots, it's just like, I found a sharp thing and now I stab things with it, right? But like for the high elves, that is intended to be the way that their weapons look and his weapons actually look like that, right? Like that's the amazing thing. So do you see the behind the the, the mountain guy Whoa. that's red? Yeah. Do you see the rocks behind them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the gray rocks? Mm-hmm. That's the same model that I use to make the... Floating island? Yeah. Yep. Do you notice the waterfall? Correct. Coming? The gray... The Well, I think he put it on... Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yep, you can see the waterfall yeah. behind it. Yep. Yeah. Yep, now I can see that water looks great. Yeah, the water... Everything he paints is fantastic. It's so great. Yeah. I just convert things. <laughs> so yeah, so and this is yeah, like I said, this he's coming to he's coming to the gibbering dome. He's like be there. this is part of the narrative that will be included after the event. Like how can you not be excited about that? <laughs> I I don't know how you can't be excited about that. That's all. It's amazing. All right. I feel like we, we, we've all expended all our excitement and are now just waiting for Adepticon to happen. Yeah, but, we stand by. <laughs> uh, so any other uh, final questions or should we do a wrap-up? Do you think there's a seat available in the Wingspan game? I mean, I'm just asking, like, if there's... <laughs> you know, maybe yeah, a look. You could check at Adepticon registration. I play, I play that game to win. I'll, I'll be like shouting at you guys I mean, from across the 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 um, conference room. Where what building is it hosted? in? Do you guys know? It's in the Renaissance in uh, Schaumburg. Ooh, Schaumburg! I've I've been through there. Yeah. yeah. Before. So my question is, do you feel bad about playing an invasive species on the table, or no? Are you okay with that? I'm okay with it. I, I don't take it personally. They were introduced before my time. All right. But I'm also, just, just wondering. Yeah, like European Sterling, it, it's it's got its it's really cool. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, that's, cool that's, that's like the most common invasive species. Um, you know, but like, yeah, they're they get a bad rap because they are invasive, and my dad used to take it like personally. But I think they're kind of so cool. There's some there's some really you've seen videos, right? They can like make all these quite intelligent sounding noises. I don't remember if they could speak or not, but they, they're, I think they, they oh, they're, just, they're neat. I don't know. They're neat. They're this nice little iridescent speckles and mm-hmm. bright yellow beaks. And they just infiltrated every single barn swallow house we put up. They love those, but yeah, I'll play them. 
I play to win. I play to win. <laughs> so if that's a European starling, that's a European starling. Yep. That's yeah. fair. Uh, as far as final questions, I do have a question for you, Paul. Ooh. If I was someone who wasn't attending the Gibbering Dome event, but mm-hmm. I wanted to learn more about the Gibbering Dome itself, mm-hmm. where could I go? You could go to www.themortalrealms.com slash thegibberingdome, and I think that would work. Perfect. Also, you could go to, um, this is super fun, uh, you could go to 2 Plus Tough on YouTube, and you could search for the Gibbering Dome because he was kind enough to do an episode on it in 2019. So there's actually a, a lower episode from Doug about that as well. And you can also go to about 32 minutes ago and listen <laughs> to the whole horde <laughs> of the place. <laughs> true, true. The, the verbal vomit of, uh, of me <laughs> telling about my fun. Thanks for listening to our Amblings on the Road. Um, where can they find you, Will? They can find me on Twitter at Severalon, S-E-V-V-I-R-E-L-O-N. And Spencer, where can they find you? Um, at Miss Photon on most things, and maybe at a wingspan table at some nerd conference. So, <laughs> see you there. Uh, you can find me at PJ Shard, P-J-S-C-H-A-R-D, on Twitter or Discord or all the thingies. Instagram. Uh, you can chat with us on Discord at themortalrealms.com slash Discord. Um, and we hope to see you along the path. It's not